You're listening to The Power to Change, a sermon series about five words that have the power to change our lives. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, how are we doing, Elevate? We doing good? Yeah. I am. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited. I'm glad that you are here. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we are wrapping up a series we've been in now for, uh, I guess, the past five weeks. This will be week six. And uh, it's called The Power to Change. The Power to Change. And what we're really doing is we're looking at words that really have the potential and the power to change our entire life. And the word we're going to look at today is the word new. Everybody say new. Say it better than that. New. See, everybody likes new. We really do. We like new cars. How many of y'all like new cars? They got that new car smell, right? I got a new car and my kid threw up in it yesterday, so uh, I really hurt my feelings. But everybody likes likes the new car smell. They like it so much that they actually sell a fragrance, an air freshener for your car, and it is called new car smell. We like new. We like new houses. We like new phones. We like new TVs. Anybody like new TVs? Man, I went into a store just a couple weeks ago, and they had an 85-inch television for sale. 85 inches. I walk in, I'm like, that's the biggest TV in the world. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, so a man I probably wouldn't mind if I get it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but then I thought, you know what, I'd have to get a new face because she'd beat the dumb off of me. You know what I mean? If I got that TV. But everybody likes new. Everybody really does. They like new. Uh, I heard about this family. I heard about this family that uh, was going on vacation to New York City. And man, this was a backwoods family, a backwoods family, you know, where they live. They, they didn't have TV. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have running water. You know what I mean? They, they didn't know much about anything, no education, no school, and they were off the grid. And so when they got to New York, man, they were amazed because they went to the mall and they were just in awe of how big it was. And they were they were amazed at all the stores that were there, and they were just unbelievable, man. This is wild. And so the father and the son, they went one way, and the mom went the other way, and the father and son they ended up walking to a wall, and they see something that kind of looks like this right here. They see something like this, but they didn't know what it was, you know what I mean? They, they thought it was magic, I mean, a door opening, and, a, and the wall was basically opening, and the wall was closing, and so the son said, hey, Paul, what's that? And the, and the father said, I ain't got no clue, son, I ain't never seen nothing like that in my life, looks like witchcraft to me, and so they're sitting there just in awe, watching that elevator open and close and open and close, and all of a sudden, here comes this elderly lady on a walker carrying an oxygen tank, or dragging one, she wasn't carrying it, but she's, she's on that walker, you know, and she goes in to that room on the other side of that door, and she waves at the father and son, and then all of a sudden, the doors just close on her, you know what I mean? Well, the father and son are terrified, you know, they don't know what's happened, they think she's been eaten by this, this wall, and so they're terrified, and so they watch as these lights on top of the elevator go all the way up, and then the lights come all the way back down, and when the doors open this time, the old lady's not there anymore. Instead, there's a 25-year-old, beautiful, blonde lady... And the man, the, she waves at the father and son, and they're standing there with their mouths wide open. And all of a sudden, the dad says, hurry up, boy, go get your mom. We got to get her on this thing. You know what I mean? He was hoping for a new wife, right? New wife. He was hoping for a new wife. Well, listen to me. There's only one person who can make everything new. And his name is Jesus. In Revelation chapter 21, we get a 
picture of heaven. And in verse 5, here's what the Bible says. It says, he was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Now, now this he that's in this verse right here is Jesus. And where is he seated? He's seated on the throne, which means he's in charge. He has authority. And he says, I am making everything new. So how? How does Jesus make everything new? How does he make our lives new? What does this really look like? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. If you're keeping notes, you want to write them down. I'm going to give you four things, four things that Jesus makes new. If you're keeping notes, first one I want you to see is this. Jesus makes us a new person. Jesus makes us a new person. Now, how many of you know that we all got problems, right? I got problems. You got problems. Uh, we all got problems. If you don't think you got problems, that's your problem. You know what I mean? We all, we all got problems. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them they're messed up. Yeah. Now tell the person you really wanted to say that to that they're messed up right on the other side of it. You know what I mean? I mean, we're all messed up. We really are. We're all messed up. And, and the way that we try to deal with our sin and our mistakes, and we just try to cover those things up. Think about it. Uh, way back in the garden, the Garden of Eden, I know you know the story, but God told Adam and Eve that they were free. He said, look, you guys are free. Literally, they were free, and they were running around naked. They had no clothes on. If, if you've got children, if you've got children, you've seen something like this happen at your house when they get out of the bath. Sadie Kate used to be the worst at it, man. When she would get out of the bath, she would say, I'm naked, but she wouldn't say I was naked. She'd say, I'm naked. I don't know what that means, but she would, I'm naked, and she would just take off running, just excited. She's free. I finally had to tell Amanda she's going to have to stop doing that because she was being a bad influence on the kids. You know, I thought they were learning that from her. Just kidding. That didn't really happen. But I mean, you know what I mean? They do. They run around. We are free. And that's what's happening in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they are free. God said, you are free to eat from any tree except for one tree, one tree. And that tree is the tree of knowledge between good and evil. And I know you know the story. Eve, what does she do? She takes a bite of the fruit. And then she bats her eyes at her husband, and she says, this is good. You ought to try it. And what did, what did Adam do? He, he took it and, and ate it. And what happened? When, when they ate, sin entered the world. But not only that, they realized they were naked, right? And what did they do? They tried to cover their guilt. They tried to cover their shame. They tried to cover their sin. They tried to hide themselves from God, they cover their nakedness. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 says this Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Folks, fig leaves? Fig leaves. Figs have latex in them. Figs can make you itch really bad. It would almost be like making clothes out of poison ivy or poison. Oak, you know what I mean? But that's what they do. They, they try to cover up their sin and hide it, and that's exactly what we do. We think, I'll just cover it up. God won't know. No one else will know. 
We try to cover our sin, but that's not how Jesus deals with it. Jesus doesn't cover up our sin. Jesus takes away our sin. John chapter 1, verse 29, it's talking about John the Baptist, not really a Baptist individual, but he is John the baptizer. He is baptizing people, and he looks up, and he sees Jesus coming towards them, and the Bible says this. It says that John sees it, and he says, look the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. What does he do? He takes it away. He doesn't cover it up. He takes it away, and that's good news because remember that verse in Romans 3.23 that we just looked at? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, the next verse, verse 24, is amazing because it says this, and all are justified. Everybody say justified. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Do you know what that word justified means? No, Robert, tell us. Well, I want to tell you the word justified means just if I'd never. Just if I'd never sin. That's exactly what that means. Jesus doesn't cover our sin. He takes our sin from us. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, as far as he has removed our transgressions from us, he takes away our sin. That's good news. Corey ten Boom said, God has taken our sin. He has thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness and has posted a sign that says, no fishing allowed. See, we've all messed up. We've messed up a lot. And sometimes we think about our past mistakes and we, we dwell on them. But I'm telling you this morning that you and I don't need to choose to remember what God has chosen to forget. Oh, that's good. Somebody ought to write that down, put it on their Facebook message. You and I don't need to choose to remember what God has chosen to forget. Jesus takes away our sin and the way we are justified, the way it becomes just if I'd never sinned is because of what 2 Corinthians verse 5, chapter 5, verse 17 says. You gotta see this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Do you see that exclamation point right there where it says the new is here? here. Man, that's something to get excited about. Jesus doesn't give us a new start. He makes us a new person. Man, that's exciting to me. People say all the time, I just need a new start. I just need a new house. I need a new phone. I need a new wife. I need a new husband. I need a new kid. Anybody ever said that? The problem with that is if you get all those new things, you still take you with you and you are messed up. That's why you need a new you. Well, praise God again. Jesus makes us new. Maybe you got a questionable past. Maybe you got a questionable past and, and it's kind of hard for you to get past some of the things you did. And maybe some people are constantly reminding you of what you've done in your past. Well, when that happens, what you need to say, yeah, yeah, all that, all that stuff that that person did in the past, that, yeah, yeah, that, that person's dead. That person's dead. I'm a new person in Christ. That person is dead. Christ makes us new. I wish I had five people who's excited about being a new person. Man. We're a new individual. So Jesus makes us a new person. The second thing that I want you to see, if you're keeping notes, is this. Jesus gives us a new power. Jesus gives us a new 
power. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this, For the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God gave what the Spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, these are Jesus' words, and he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. How many of you have ever been in a fight? Been in a couple of fights. That's not something I'm proud of, but I've, I've been in a couple of fights. I have, and I know I told this story before. I'll just tell it again. Y'all pretend like you ain't never heard it. It'll make me feel better. But I remember when I was in college, I was working at Mazio's Pizza, and I happened to close down the restaurant one evening. And so on my way back to my dorm room, I, was, uh, I stopped by a gas station to get something to drink, and I went in there, and I got me a two-liter bottle of Pepsi. I wasn't going to drink it all in one night, but I got a two-liter bottle of Pepsi. And so when I come out to my car, there's this truck, this single cab truck that looks like it's got about 20 people in the, in the cab. You know what I mean? It's just packed. It's packed up like sardines. And so I get to my car, and these guys in the car, they say, hey, what kind of car is that? And I tell them, it's a, it's a Pontiac Grand Prix. And they said, no, it's not. And I was like, yeah, it is. That's what I, I mean, you know, in my mind, that's why I was like, it's got an emblem on there. It says Pontiac, it's a Grand Prix. That's what it is. And so they said, no, it's not. And I said, okay. And I got in my truck and they kind of backed out and they, they blocked me in for just a second. And then they pulled away. So I backed out and then I went around them. Well, you know, they followed me. They followed me to the, to the college. And as soon as I got out of my car, you know, these three guys, they roll up on me and I'm like, oh, it's about to go down. It's a, I'm about to do. I, I really wasn't doing that. I was kind of scared because I was, my, my car door was open. You know, my car door was open and I was like, dude, I can't run that way because I'm blocked, you know? And I said, man, if I fall on, in my mind, I'm processing all this. I'm like, man, if I fall on the ground here, they could kick me to death. I could die. And so in my mind, I said, I said, what should I do? You know, uh, uh, WWCND, you know, what would Chuck Norris do? That's what I thought. And so I thought, I thought, man, you know what? I can throw this two liter Pepsi and hit one of the guys in the face. And when I do it, you know, and then do a flip kick, you know, and do that. Stuff. But then I remembered I wasn't Chuck Norris. And so I got, I said, I better not do that. And so, you know what I mean? But, but for real, three on one, three on one, the odds were against me. Well, do you know that right now, do you know that right now you're in a fight? You are. You're in a fight against this triple alliance that's doing everything it can to bring you down. You say, who's this triple alliance made up of? Well, I want to tell you. The, the, first, the first person that makes up this triple alliance that is against you and against me, it's against all of us, is the world. It's the world. What's the world? It's, it's the enemy around us. The world's against us. So the next thing, the next person that makes up this triple alliance is the flesh. The flesh. And you know what the flesh is? The flesh is the enemy within us. And then there's another person who makes up this triple alliance, again, that is against us, and that person is the devil. The devil. And, and that is the enemy that is above us. So how in the world can we be, be victorious against this triple alliance? How in the world can... Can we win? The only way that you and I can defeat this triple alliance is the power of the Holy Spirit. And you say, Robert, what can the Holy Spirit do? Well, a better question to ask is not what can the Holy Spirit do, but what can the Holy Spirit not do? What can the Holy Spirit not do? How many of you have ever heard about a guy by the name of Samson in the Bible? Samson in the Bible, yeah, man, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, man, he was, he's you know, ripped, he's muscular, he's swolled up, had, has beautiful hair. I, I see myself when I, read, when I read that a lot. 
And so there's this one time, there's this one time though where, 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 where he gets, Samson gets, he gets tied up by the Philistines. They capture him. And you got to see this. Judges chapter 15, starting in verse 14. Here's what the Bible says. It says, and he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Bruh, this dude is no joke. He, how many men did he, did he strike down? A thousand. And he didn't do it with a gun. He didn't do it with a sword. He didn't do it with a knife or a bomb. I mean, he did it with the jawbone of a donkey. How in the world is that possible? We'll look at verse 14 again. It says this, As he approached Lahai, the Philistines came toward him shouting. What happened? The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. See, folks, Samson could have beat a thousand men with a paper clip because it wasn't the weapon there that really did it. It was God's Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And you want to know how you can defeat the world and the flesh and the devil? It's the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And God promises it to those of us who are going to be followers of him. See, see, I heard a story one time about this, this, this man that was in the, in the, in the Civil War and, and he really needed to go home for a family emergency. It wasn't that he was being a coward and, and trying to run from the war. He really had an emergency he had to take care of. So he made an appointment to get to the White House to, to meet the president. And so as he gets to the White House for this appointment, the guards that are there at the White House, they say, I'm sorry, but the president is way too busy. He can't see you today. And so this man, again, he's, he's devastated. He needs to get home. And so he goes to a park, and he's sitting down on a park bench, and he begins to kind of cry. And all of a sudden, this little boy walks up to him, and, and this little boy says, hey, mister, what's wrong? What's wrong? And so the man doesn't even know why he did, but he just poured out his heart to this little boy. And after he got finished, the little boy said, here, sir, come with me. And so that little boy took that man by the hand, and they started walking right towards the White House. And so the man's kind of like, what in the world is going on here? So they walk right towards the White House, and when they get there, the guards don't say a word. They just open up the gates for them, and they walk right through. The guards actually salute the little boy. He walks right into the White House, holding that man's hand. He walks right into the White House, walks right into the Oval Office, and when he gets there, there's President Lincoln talking Talking with one of his generals, President Lincoln looks up and he says, Tad, my boy, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? You see, that little boy was Abraham Lincoln's son. And that little boy said, Dad, this man needs to talk to you. Well, let me tell you something. Man, if you were a follower of God, if you were a follower of Christ, Jesus takes you by the hand and he literally takes you to something that is greater than any power in this world, any power in existence today. And because of what Jesus does, we can do what Hebrews 4.16 says. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have access to a new power and I'm not telling you that if you become a Christian, all your problems are going to go away. I'm not telling you that at all. But I am telling you that if you are a Christian, you have access to a power that's greater than all your problems combined. All your problems combined. 
combined. I'm saying that Jesus gives you that. Some of us, all of our life, all we have ever done is live for our problems. But when you are a new person in Christ, you are filled with a new power and you begin to live for a new person instead of your problems. And I promise you that his power will help you conquer anything this triple alliance throws at you. So we have a new person that we're able to become. We have access to a new power. The third thing that I want you to see that Jesus gives us is we get a new community. Jesus offers us a new community. And three quick things about this community. They're not going to be on the screen, but if you want to write them down, you can. The first thing about this new community is that it should be the most sharing community on planet Earth. The most sharing, I'm sorry, the most caring community on all the Earth. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Do you see that? They were, they were one heart, one mind. They, they actually cared for one another. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, once said, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can and all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you can care for people. So this community is the most caring community, but it should also be the most sharing community. I kind of gave you a preview to that just a minute ago. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 again says, all the believers were, in, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. They shared. And what's interesting to me is that this happened during a time when they were under great persecution. They were under Roman occupation. And in this city, in Jerusalem, there were Greeks there. There were people from all over the world. It was multicultural, multi-ethnic. There were all sorts of people there, and, and they shared with all of them. They shared with all of them. I saw a quote the other day that said, your car is German, your vodka is Russian, your pizza is Italian, your kebab is Turkish, your democracy is Greek, your coffee is Brazilian, your movies are American, your tea is Tamil, your shirts are Indian, your oil is Saudi Arabian, your electronics are Chinese, your numbers are Arabic, your letters are Latin, and you complain because your neighbor is different than you. shouldn't be like that. We need to pull ourselves together. Why? Because we're all part of the kingdom of God. If you struggle with caring and sharing with people that are different from you, you're going to struggle in heaven. Because in heaven, there are going to be people from all over, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We're all going to be there hand in hand, worshiping the only one who is worthy of our worship. We see here in the book of Acts, this is the kingdom of God at its best. And so this community, again, it should be the most caring community. It should be the most sharing community. And the third thing that I want you to see is that it should be the most daring community, the most daring community. Think about it. They were under intense persecution. They really were. Literally, for meeting together, they could be imprisoned, they could have their head cut off, or they could be burned alive. But in spite of all of that, they continued to meet together Every day. They met in the temple courts. This was like a rebel 
alliance. Every time they met together, it was an act of defiance, but they believed in God with all of their heart, and they believed in the church that Jesus Christ died for. They believed in this community, and listen to me, that's why you and I need to consistently and constantly meet together as a body of Christ, because we believe in God with all of our heart, and we believe in the church that Jesus Christ died for. When you and I make church a priority, it's an act of defiance to the world, to the flesh, and to the enemy that is around us. The world's not telling you to go to church. The flesh isn't telling you to go to church. Oh, I'm too tired. Somebody hurt my feelings. I, I just, I just, it's raining outside. We can come up with all sorts of excuses. The enemy, the devil, is not telling you to go to church. But we are a rebel alliance against the world and the things of this world. And when we come to church, we tell the enemy, you know what? We're not going to find value in what you tell us is valuable. We, when we come to church, we say, you know what? This is what we are supposed to do. It's what we're supposed to do. And listen to me. Easter is coming. Easter is right around the corner. It's a little over, little over a month away and I don't know if you know this or not, but for me, Easter is a very exciting time, but it's also a, a pretty stressful time for me because I know that at Easter, there are people who will probably come to church who wouldn't go to church any other Sunday. There are people who come to church who uh, don't necessarily know Christ as their Lord and Savior, and so literally at Easter time and even Christmas, uh, there's kind of this weight of eternity that all pastors probably probably carry on their shoulders. And so I'm praying right now that God would move. I'm praying right now that God would speak and that God would change lives. I hope you'll pray that with me. But here's what I'm asking from you. I'm asking that you be daring. I'm asking that you be daring. I'm asking that you be daring and that you invite someone. But, but don't just invite someone because that's just half of it. Bring someone. Bring someone to church. See, we're going to have two identical services on Easter. We want to make more room for more people to come and hear about Jesus Christ. We're going to have a 9 o'clock service, an 11 o'clock service. I want you to call people up and tell them, look, you want them to come with you. You're going to be their Uber driver for the day. You're going to go and pick them up. You're going to bring them, and you're going to say, hey, you know what? After church, you can come to my house and eat because you're caring and you're sharing and you're daring. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do everything we can to get people into God's house so that they can have the opportunity to become a new person and experience a new power and experience a new community because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what I'm asking from you. So Jesus gives us an opportunity to become a new person. He gives us an opportunity to experience a new power. He offers us a new community. And the fourth thing that I want you to see real quickly that Jesus gives us is that Jesus gives us a new home. Jesus gives us a new home. I want you to see the Christian retirement plan. It's in Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 2. Here's what the Bible says. We get a picture of heaven here. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
Man, this is amazing. Because in this new home, there's no more separation from God. How many of you sometimes in your life, you just feel like God's not there? But he is. But in heaven, you won't doubt it. No more separation. No more, no more tears. See, on this side of heaven, we, we have more than our fair share of tears. How many of y'all ever cried before? You cried? I know that I have. We've had things that happened to us that hurt us to our core. But in heaven, God has a Kleenex just for you and just for me. And God doesn't run around with a box of Kleenex just handing them out. No, the Bible says that he will personally wipe every tear from our eye. And we will have joy for all eternity. I love the fact that in heaven, the old order of things has passed away. I love that. Heaven, heaven is going to be so much better. See, I like living here on earth. I, I like to live. I really do. But heaven is going to be so much better again because that old order of things has passed away. I saw a lot of people on Facebook kind of fussing about their light bill, how their light bill had doubled, how their light bill had gone up about 100 bucks. Anybody here, has that happened to you, man? And you're like, man, why? Why? Well, here's what I want you to know. In heaven, there ain't going to be no light bills. You know why? Because Revelation 21, 23 says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is the lamp. God's glory is going to light up heaven and we're going to be able to experience his presence like never before. It's going to be exciting. The old order has passed away. And the new has come. In the only way that you and I are able to experience all this new, because new changes us. The only way that you and I are able to experience all this new is because of Jesus, the perfect, willing sacrifice. See, I heard a little story about a little girl. She was three, maybe four years old. She was born with this disease, this disease that was literally killing her. Well, her brother was also born with the same disease, but his body had developed the, 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 the things that would combat this, this disease. And so, so really what they needed was they needed some of his blood to give to his little sister. The problem was that this boy was also little. He was five. And so trying to explain this to a five-year-old was incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. But the parents, they went to the boy and they said, son, your sister, she needs your blood. Your blood can save her life. And so the little boy was quiet for a little while, but after a while, he said, I'll do it. I'll give my sister my blood. So the day came for the blood transfusion, and they hooked the little boy up and the little girl up to one another, and everything was going fine. And after a little while, the doctor came into the room and said, everything's great. We're almost finished. And when the doctor said that, the little boy started to cry. He wasn't whining, but he did have tears running down his face. The mom and dad were quick to say, what's wrong, son? What's wrong, son? And the son just looked at his mom and dad and said, now that she's got my blood, when will I die? 
See, he literally thought that he was giving his sister all of his blood. And he was willing to do it. Willing to do it. Well, folks, that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. He was the willing sacrifice. He knew that when he came to this earth that he was coming to die. He knew that to save us, it would cost him his life, and he did it anyway. He died a death that he did not deserve. He paid a debt that he did not owe, but he paid the price that had to be paid so that you and I could be forgiven. And when he did that, the Bible says that for just a moment, God had to turn his face because God was heartbroken. But at the same time, God was excited because it meant that each and every one of us, each and every one of us could become new. Folks, that's why we serve Jesus. That's why we praise Jesus because he makes us new. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today and you've never experienced this new. You've never committed your heart to Christ, your life to Christ so that that old can be gone and the new can come. And today you say, you know what? I need that. I want that. And so if you know today you need to be saved, you need to become new, I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray this prayer. Father, today, forgive me for my sins. I surrender to you. I confess you as Lord. I submit to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Mold me into this new creation so that when people see me from now on, they know that I'm yours. Thank you for saving me. As we continue to pray, I just want to know if you're here today and you prayed that prayer to be saved today. I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing, but nobody's looking around. But right where you are, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask that you just lift your hand so that I can know. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. We need to be new today. Father, I thank you for moving. I thank you for working. Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us truly celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that you would help us to realize how important Jesus is, how important his sacrifice is. Father, help us to understand that this new is the most exciting thing we could ever experience this side of eternity. Father, thank you for making us new. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.